Hey everyone, welcome to Fostering Excellence in Agility, the podcast. I'm your host, competitor, coach, and mentor, Megan Foster. I help agility enthusiasts focus on the small details of training and behavior while still having a clear understanding of their big picture goals. Join me as I take you through key elements of dog agility training, competing, and teaching, and how you can take action today to start improving your skills within the sport. Let's get started. Hey everyone, today I want to talk to you about how you might decide if you're going to train stopped contacts or running contacts. Let's first start with some definitions. We're going to talk about stopped contacts, and in this case, I'm referring to the two feet on or two feet and two feet off behavior or the four feet on behavior. And this is where the dog independently finds the end of the board, assumes that position, either two on, two off or four on, and waits for the handler's verbal cue to release them to the next obstacle or other behavior. And when I'm talking about running contacts, I am referring to an independently trained contact behavior that the dog does not stop, does not even slow down all that much unless they're having to turn uh, off the board and they learn to adjust their stride and gait in order to hit the target area, which is essentially the contact zone. And we also have to discuss that there are three different contact obstacles. There's the dog walk, there, which is three planks. It, it's got a big footprint uh, as far as space goes. And this is one where it's really common to have either stopped or running contacts. Some trainers even go as far as training both behaviors. And this is something that I have done for my Parson Russell Terrier Shrek. So I have a running contact behavior for straight and nearly straight and um, I can do some handling for some of the softer turns with his running contact and I also have a stopped contact cue so that he knows before he ever gets on that he will be performing his two on two off behavior and that was uh, originally trained for super tight turns or for soft turns that I wasn't able to handle effectively. Then there's the A-frame, and this is going to be a slightly higher impact obstacle. There's a little bit more climbing, this one, because the angle is steeper than the dog walk, and there's not as much room for the dog to decelerate, so the planks are shorter and the angle is steeper, that this one is really common to see mostly running contacts on because the dog can kind of maintain their momentum and doesn't have to collect quite as much in order to stop at the bottom. And of course, that can minimize the impact on the dog's front end. Uh, Obviously, the two-on-two-off can be trained in a very safe way as well if the dog has the physical mechanics in order to do that and the strength to do that. So there's always going to be those things to keep in mind when we go about deciding which one we're going to do. And then for the teeter, 
I am a pretty firm believer that everyone has to train some sort of stop here. I am not a fan of what I hear called a running teeter. And this is just because the criteria is very hard to maintain and observe in the moment. So when we're talking about the teeter, I would say that everyone has to train some sort of stop until released behavior in order to maintain consistency across the board with a variety of teeters and situations. So now let's talk about why you might choose one or the other. And this definitely goes back to big picture training. And I did an entire episode on focusing on your big picture. And all of these things matter to me because how I decide to train my contacts really, really depends on the picture of agility that, that I would like my agility to look like. So it matters what organizations I'm going to be competing in. So what types of courses am I going to be running? Um, do, do those types of courses suit themselves more for running contacts or stopped contacts? And how far up the ladder in each organization am I hoping to climb as far as local or regional national tryout competitions? Because your goals in that particular organization also may impact which contact behavior you train. If you are really interested in having the fastest times at the national event, then you might want to be leaning more towards running contacts because there is going to be a slight time advantage, especially given the course trends that we see where the dog walk and A-frame exits are going to be relatively straight or soft turns. It's We're seeing fewer and fewer tight turns off of the contacts, and so that might be one reason to lean towards running contacts. That being said, you have to commit yourself to a certain amount of training, both in the skill acquisition phase and maintenance phase for either of these behaviors. And when you are aiming to place or win at really high levels, that level of commitment needs to increase to match that goal, desire, or expectation. So even though we're focusing on one set of obstacles today, just the contact obstacles, everything about agility and your version of agility matters based on your goals and your priorities and your expectations. So we're just trying to balance all of those things when we think about it. So so your dog's course time might be a factor. If that's really important to you to have that advantage, then I think there is a an advantage to be gained over running contacts versus stopped contacts. However, you do need access to equipment. And while you need access to equipment in both situations, I have found that for the dog walk in particular, I need more access to the dog walk for a running contact than I do for a stopped contact. So if we're going to talk about the dog walk for a second, there is a lot with running contacts that I can do 
on just the ground or even just on one single plank. So it's not that I need access to the full dog walk on a regular basis, but I do need to be able to train all of those things kind of at the same time. So it might be that if I only have access to the full dog walk once a week, I can probably make that happen as long as I can access the target and maybe a plank with the target a couple of more times during the week outside of that one session with the full length dog walk. So that's something I have to think about. Or I just have to know that that acquiring the finished behavior with all of the nuance and the proofing and the turns may take me longer than someone who has a full length dog walk in their backyard. So I have to keep that resource in mind. Whereas the A-frame, I feel like most of the training that I do for the A-frame is on the flat and I don't need regular access to the A-frame to train a consistent running A-frame. And this is pretty much held true for my students as well if they commit to taking the time to do the target work at home outside of class, we're able to develop a really, really consistent running A-frame just in their once a week class or in their once a week rental if we're working together online. For the teeter, I also think this is another one that's pretty easy to replicate. And because the teeter behavior doesn't change as much, right? There's not as many ways to go across a teeter and land in your two-on-two-off or four-on. If you train that behavior on something that moves, like a wobble board or the Cato tip plank or just any type of training uh, tippy plank or wobble board, you can teach the dog the skills of what to do when a board moves. And you can transfer those skills to the actual teeter fairly easily. And so again, regular access to a teeter once a week is regular enough, in my opinion, And then when you get to a certain point, um, maybe your dog is really, really fluent and the teeter is half height now, and the only variable left to kind of train is how high the teeter is, you need even less access to it. Because again, the behavior isn't changing and the variables aren't changing for the dog. So once they kind of acquire that skill, it pretty much stays the same. And that can also be true for stopped contacts on the A-frame and dog walk as well. Because once you acquire that stopped behavior and all of the skills that go into that stopped behavior, the obstacle itself doesn't have a lot of variance. With running contacts, we do see more ways to meet criteria, especially on the dog walk, right? There's a lot of ways that the dog can manipulate their stride and their gait in order to hit criteria. And even with the running A-frame, while there is a little bit more flexibility in how they perform it than with a stopped A-frame, there's not nearly as much variance as there is with a running dog walk. So each one, it does require kind of its own thought process. And that's for everyone to kind of think about what they would like from their own dogs. But I suspect that anyone listening to this, you're going to have to train 
at least one stopped contact behavior and potentially also a running contact behavior, depending on what your goals are and what you would like to do. There's also the choice with the teeter if you want to go for a four on the board behavior or a two on two off behavior. And I personally choose to teach all of my dogs a four on behavior for the teeter because even with my very large border collie smack teaching him a two on two off years ago, if he was just a little bit too far forward on the teeter and his back feet were barely hanging on, some of these heavier teeters can kind of bounce up and move his rear feet off the ground. And that is going to slow things down unless I am releasing very quickly, which is maybe not conducive to my goals overall for maintaining a solid criteria of that behavior. So that, so the, the board kind of whiplashing them in the air is one reason that I choose four on. I also find that unless the dog is comfortable kind of dangling their front feet off the end of the teeter, many dogs are stopping the board and four on and then moving into two on two off. And I don't want to see that. That's wasted time because I have to wait until the dog stops moving in two on two off before I can release them. And if I look big picture at what I would like to be successful in, I'm going to want that time advantage of as soon as the board stops moving, I'm going to release you. And so I do find that Foron produces that for me a little bit easier. And also we have to consider that the impact of the teeter. Now with four feet on the board, the dog is kind of absorbing that through all four of his paws versus just his rear feet. And so I do think that while that might not feel as good in the moment, I think probably over time it is more comfortable for the dog. These are just things that I have observed And I don't really have any proof of them, but until the entire country or world is using the clip-and-go teeter, we do have to um, keep that in mind, that impact that the dog is absorbing on the teeter also impacts their behavior long-term. Okay, so the next thing you have to think about in regards to your big picture is your time to train and maintain these behaviors. And that is directly associated with access to the equipment because if you have to drive somewhere to access the necessary equipment, that is valuable time. So there's a lot more that I can do with the not obstacles. So just with props or things that kind of mimic the contact equipment that I can find around my home. There's a lot more I can do in regards to stopped contact training than running contact training from that perspective. So if it's really important to me to be able to kind of train the entire behavior away from the obstacle, then I'm going to lean more towards a stop dog walk. I'm going to throw my hands up. It's a 50-50 tie for running versus stopped A-frame. And then 
the teeter is definitely going to be a stop, but you do have to make that decision of four on versus two on, two off. I also have to consider my ability as a handler and also as a trainer. So when I'm thinking of my abilities as a handler, obviously with a running A-frame, the the amount of space that the A-frame takes up is smaller. So you have to think, can I still be on time with my cues for the obstacle before and the obstacles after the A-frame if my dog is not stopping in that moment? And I have to ask the same thing for the dog walk. Am I going to be able to cue the obstacle before the dog walk in a way that makes the dog walk approach safe, safer, given that course design should make it safe and our handling makes it safer and our training makes it safer? And am I going to be able to handle the next several obstacles after the dog walk if my dog is not stopping at the end? And then all tied into that, this is more of like a flow chart. It's okay if you're not able to be ahead to handle those obstacles if you have the time and resources and training skills to build those verbals to fluency to so that your dog is able to be handled via your verbal cues rather than your physical cues. So everything kind of ties in together. And even if you are a fast enough handler to still be ahead of your dog with running contacts, you still have to have those unique training skills in order to train the running contact behavior itself. And this is definitely different A-frame versus dog walk, I believe. When I'm teaching a running A-frame, I'm primarily using the PVC box or a very big mat. And again, because the dog's variability in behavior is very low when it comes to the A-frame, it's really easy to see if they met criteria or not. As And definitely seeing if a dog stopped in the correct position, that's also very easy to observe. However, with a running dog walk, the space that they are hitting in is smaller, so we have to focus on a more narrow space. They are running faster because they have more time to extend and go faster on the dog walk than they do the A-frame. And their variability in their stride and their gait and their patterns is also going to be different a lot of the times, so it's a little bit harder to predict. I make the most mistakes in marking accuracy with the running dog walk, mostly because my predictions are off. So I try to watch the space just before the target as well. And if I see a particular footfall just before the target, my brain assumes that they will also hit the target. But that's not always the case. That works out for me a lot of the times. But because there's that variability, I do sometimes mispredict. And then when I have a wrong prediction, it's just like Murphy's Law or something that the very next hit, I'm going to be late with my clicking. And I kind of have to recalibrate my eye and my brain in order to continue making progress. So 
those are just some things to consider when you are trying to decide stop versus running contacts. I truly love teaching all of them. I love training all of them. And I don't want either version to be frustrating. And and so that's kind of my process here that I want people to focus on breaking those behaviors down and getting really creative about how to make those skills accessible without regular access to the equipment. And I think there is a lot that we can do outside of our normal agility class where we do have access to that equipment. And that can usually help us make better decisions as well. And I don't think you have to decide right away. I think there are tons of concepts and skills that we can teach our dogs when they're young. We can even introduce the basic skills of all of the behaviors, four on, two on, two off, running in the A-frame box, running on a dog walk target. We can introduce all of those key pieces to them at any time, and we can put them away at any time. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with kind of starting the foundations for all of them. And then as you grow together as a team and learn more and more about each other and more about the sport and more about the courses that you'll be running, you can narrow down that decision and make the plan that best fits your life and your version of agility. The number one thing to remember is that it is your version and that it can change at any time if you'd like. That about covers it for today. But before you go, I would like you all to know that coming up on September 8th, I will be running a webinar at the Finzi Dog Sports Academy on the essential skills for stopped contacts. In this webinar, I'll be breaking down all of those tiny pieces that go into building really good, solid stopped contact performances. But spoiler alert, many of these skills I teach to all of my dogs and my students' dogs because they also apply to running contacts, weave poles, and start line training. Good essential skills can be used in a number of ways, and any good skill worth training is going to work overtime for you. So again, that webinar is going to run September 8th at 6 p.m. Pacific time over at the Finzi Dog Sports Academy. You can go ahead and register for access to the recording, and if you can join us live, you'll be able to ask questions during the Q&A. I'm also gearing up to run my teeter training course on FDSA during the October term. So if you are getting ready to start teaching your contacts, I really recommend starting with the teeter and I would love to see you there. If you have any questions about either of these upcoming opportunities, please feel free to reach out to me via email or on social media. Talk to y'all next week. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, 
head over to synergydogsports.com community to access bonus content and to get your questions answered via podcast episodes and other social media content. If you'd like to know more about what I'm up to and what's coming up, make sure to bookmark my website, www.synergydogsports.com.